Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday of 22nd July 2019. Mark Pender is stateside, Brian Jackson is already in, into Wednesday in Sydney and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Okay, well over the course of the next few days we'll have important monetary policy announcements from the top four major central banks. What they decide to do, or indeed what not to do, will obviously have important implications for their own financial markets, but there could well be some significant knock-on effects elsewhere too. Particularly, for example, the likes of a Swiss national bank, which could be forced into taking action to prevent any further unwanted appreciation by its local currency. It's also the week in which we get the first look at second quarter US GDP and find out what lucky person will have to sort out the Brexit mess as the new UK PM. That will be Boris Johnson, by the way. OK, well, let's start with Brian since we have him on board today. So it's Southern Hemisphere. Brian, let's have a look at the BOJ. They meet next Monday, just a couple of days before the Fed announcement. So let's assume that the Fed cuts and that the yen appreciates as a result. So your inflation rate's well below 1%. Your JGB yield's kind of below where the BOJ wants to see them. So what can the central bank do to stop a stronger yen worsening the situation? Well, you know, they are obviously uh, talking about some some additional uh, policy stimulus measures, but I don't think you're going to see, you know, they're not talking about any changes in, in, in the main policy rate. So it's mainly sort of tinkering around the edges and, uh, you know, some perhaps some additional bond buying or things like that. But, you know, at, at the moment, it looks like it's still pretty steady uh, on, on the rate outlook. We have had um, uh, Governor Kuroda uh, speaking at, I think it was at the IMF earlier this week, um, just talking about how he's a little bit more confident about the uh, inflation outlook. So, you know, even if the currency does uh, continue in that direction, he still seems reasonably uh, confident about, uh, you know, the overall outlook for, for inflation, still gradually sort of, you know, edging towards that target. And so, again, I think, you know, it's it's going to be just another month of, of interest rates staying on hold, but, you know, they will consider some additional if, if need be. And how important is the level of the yen? I think you know, from a market perspective, they've seen this 107 level against the dollar as being you know, kind of the, you know, the bottom line as far as the central bank may be concerned. Is that right? Or do you think you know, dollar yen could go well below that level and, and the BOJ wouldn't be concerned or just would not, not to do anything about it? Well, I, I, you know, they, they're definitely concerned about the level, but probably more about the, the pace of moves. Um, you know, if it's sort of done in an orderly way, they, they tend to be a little bit more, um, uh, you know, accommodative of it. But, and you know, the, the, they could also, though, just say, OK, well, there's only so much that we can do to actually uh, to fight this if it does move uh, that far. So, again, I think they're trying to um, downplay the significance of it uh, to, to the extent as possible. Obviously, they do get pressure from exporters. But um, if, if they can sort of point to... Um, you know, the, 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 the overall inflation outlook, uh, I think that's what they'll probably prefer to do. Fair enough. Um, I want to have a quick chat about China since we've got you. But first, just sort of kind of in a nutshell, RBA and RBNZ. Um, you know, Mark, Mark and myself have been talking over the last several weeks about a general move towards lower interest rates, certainly states-wise and potentially within Europe as well. Um, do you think there's more to come out of the, the RBA and the RBNZ in terms of lower borrowing costs? That's uh, that's the way things are looking right now. I mean, the RBA you know, has already uh, moved and they've made it quite clear what's driving that in, in that they think that there is still uh, scope to get the economy moving a bit quicker, get the 
the uh, unemployment rate down and uh, still not see any unwelcome increase in, in inflation. They, they think that, you know, the way that the uh, uh, the inflation dynamics are at the moment, it can definitely tolerate um, a, a lower level of, of unemployment. And what we've seen over the last couple of months is that unemployment has been steady. Um, you know, you, you're not expecting, obviously, a, a, an immediate reaction to the policy rates cuts they've already put in place. Um, so uh, that, that suggests that, you know, it might take a bit of time for those uh, policy rate cuts to, to flow through to, uh, um, you know, lower inflation, uh, lower unemployment rate. So I think the bias, therefore, is definitely towards perhaps moving again. Obviously, we're getting already pretty low levels, so, you know, they're not going to continue it indefinitely, but there might be scope to do it a little bit more. Uh, in, in the case of New Zealand, um, yeah, it's, uh, again, they've, they've, they've been pretty upfront. Uh, in, in their policy statements, saying that you know the, the definitely the bias is towards lower rates, given um, just the uh, you know the level of, of unemployment and and what they're trying to do with growth. Okay, fair enough. Um, perhaps less pressure on uh, the the uh, People's Bank of China at the moment after the GDP numbers, which didn't look too good, but. The monthly profile, certainly in terms of industrial production and retail sales, suggesting that uh, things may be picking up towards the end of the second quarter. Uh, that's what sort of the headline numbers suggest, though there are, you know, as in the case, as is always the case with China, you know, some some doubts about um, some of the, the the underlying data, and you know, there are also some uh, one-off factors that could be uh, pushing some of those numbers. In particular, if you look at the retail sales number for June. That was quite, uh, it was well above expectations. But what seems to have been the, the, the main focus driving that has been auto sales. And what's going on in China is that you're bringing in some new emission standards for, for vehicles. Uh, and so that's driving a bit of a surge in sales before those emission standards come in. So there are some doubts about how sustainable, you know, that strength in retail sales is. I think, um, you know, the, the underlying message is definitely that, you know, the, uh, the, the trade situation is still having a big impact on, on the Chinese economy. Um, uh, a lot of uh, you know, angst, I think, about that headline GDP number uh, and, and what that means for, uh, you know, the growth targets and, um, and particularly for, for industrial output. So I think, you know, there's a lot of concerns that, you know, policymakers are going to sort of go back to the old playbook and uh, try and boost growth using investment in infrastructure, perhaps even, you know, trying to encourage property uh, investment again. Right. And this is Mark. I have a question about exactly that, the policymakers. What are the mechanisms of monetary policy in China? Um, is it the traditional central bank making interest rate decisions? Uh, is it a, a government uh, uh, making fiscal policy decisions? How does this compare with what uh, the, the Western model is? Well, uh, you know, just going back four or five years ago, you did have, um, you know, a reasonably active interest rate sort of uh, policy uh, in China, but that's really sort of um, gone off the table in recent years uh, with what's been going on with the Fed and, um, you know, just uh, quantitative easing all around the world. Yeah, they've sort of taken that policy tool off the table. Uh, you still do see some moves in, um, in particular, uh, bank lending requirements, uh, you know, the reserve requirements, I should say, uh, and also just using, uh, you know, bank lending itself as a tool, you know, directing the banks to, to lend when, 
you know, the government thinks we need a bit of a, a boost to well, the economy. So let me stop you there. On the uh, government uh, dictates policy to uh, the central bank? Uh, unofficially, yes. I mean, you know, there is definitely uh, uh, some sort of official uh, independence for, for the PBRC, but in practice, you know, there's definitely um, a lot of government influence over there. You know, the, the governor of the PBRC is a member of the state council, uh, so he, uh, you know, is generally pretty closely aligned with what uh, the government is trying to do. And, you know, so that, that does mean that monetary policy, um, you know, is very much uh, focused on, you know, trying to uh, deliver those uh, uh, the growth targets that the government has in place. But as I said, uh, over the last few years, they have also been um, moving to other sort of policy instruments, policy tools, and, and you yeah, know, fiscal policy is also... Um, something that's being used to try and um, offset uh, the impact of, of weaker trade this year. Okay, thanks for that, Brian. Um, right, moving on then. Um, well, I guess um, before we move across to Mark, uh, we should look at the ECB first. That will be the first of the big four central bank meetings taking place. They meet on Thursday. And all the talk from the various central bank officials and noting Mario Draghi himself since the last gathering on the 6th of June has really been directed, it seems, at boosting speculation that policy will be eased. And you know, the two questions now would seem to be when and how. Now, the next economic forecast from the ECB, and normally they like to use updated forecasts when they do make certainly any major adjustments to policy anyway, they're not around until September the 12th. And that probably means that as far as this week is concerned, if we do see any kind of shift in their stance, it's going to be relatively subtle. Nonetheless, I do expect Draghi's um, conference to be uh, very much of a, a dovish nature. I expect his speech uh, pretty well across the board to you know, really set the scene, I suspect for something more aggressive once we get into September. Um, in terms, I suppose, the options open to them at the moment, and, well, what are they facing first? It's just the ongoing case of sluggish growth. It looks as if second quarter is only being about 0.2% quarterly growth rate, something like that. Inflation, core inflation, is still hovering around this 1% mark as it has for the best part of a couple of years or so now. So, really, you know, what can they do? So, I think in terms of, well, Thursday... It's, it's possible we could see some modification of the forward guidance. At the moment, that's still structured along the lines of interest rates being kept at current levels um, with the view to perhaps some increase coming towards the back end of next year. So in terms of their reinvestment directive, that's very much um, centred around continuing to reinvest maturing principle um, until such time as we start to, well, beyond the period when we finally see interest rates being hiked. So I think taking out any notion at the next move in interest rates as being higher is certainly one thing they could do and indeed in the interest rate directive itself which just talks about you know current levels being adhered to they might perhaps introduce the idea that current rates or even lower rates uh, could be the could be the call and that's the kind of directive or forward guidance they've used what last time around about 2017 or so so i wouldn't expect any big fireworks out of the ecb as far as this thursday is concerned but it does seem that they're going to be setting the scene very much uh, say for a more aggressive 
positive move once we get into uh, September time. Uh, just quick in terms of the numbers out of the Eurozone this week to keep an eye on. Really, the key one's going to be uh, on Wednesday, we'll get the July flash PMIs, and they're really just expected to suggest that the kind of soggy end to the second quarter we saw in the Eurozone economy is likely to be continued at the start of the third quarter. And that in itself will just be seen as increasing pressure on the central bank to come out and act. Okay, um, now we have a week or so to go before the Fed and the BOE, but Mr. Pender, we yes. have the first look at second quarter US GDP on Friday. So is that like to have any implications for market perceptions of what the Fed is likely to do next week? Uh, uh, probably not, but it is very exciting. Uh, it's uh, uh, Like a man who's excited by GDP. In the first estimate. And there's only only well, the first estimate once. And uh, the economy panel is at 1.9%, which um, uh, annual pace, which doesn't sound that great. But um, that's because of uh, corrections in exports and inventories. If, however, you look at consumer spending, uh, the consensus is at 3.9% annual rate. Now, this will... Uh, this will be preceding the Fed's, uh, presumably, a rate cut announcement. We'll have uh, this, which isn't pointing to the need for a rate cut or, or wouldn't point to the need. We have a, a strong June employment report, 224,000 rise in um, non-farm payrolls. We had a rise in core inflation in June. We had the strong, an unusually strong month in retail sales that this um, consumer spending reflects. Uh, none of this, and the best manufacturing month of the year, none of this is really fitting in with the incoming data and the need to cut rates. It's part of, I think, maybe a competitive rate cuts among the global central banks, uh, kind of a, uh, a version of currency devaluation. Interesting. So I must say at the moment, I suppose you've got what a relatively strong dollar in the sense, what, trade weight is around five-week highs, something like that. Mm. Um I wonder, is it the case, let's suppose, okay, we go into next week, and I assume everyone's pretty well assumed there will be a cut. And what is it, 25 basis points? Uh -huh. Yeah, best call. Well, uh -huh. let's assume if 25 basis point is is built in now, and you're saying that if a, the most recent numbers kind of raise a question mark over, do they need to cut in the first place? Uh -huh. Do you think then the statement from the Fed is going to intimate, well, look, we've come out, we've cut interest rates, now we're going to wait and have a good look at the data? Or are they going to come out and say, well, we've cut once, but we're more than happy to come out and cut again? I think probably the latter. I think that the former would be more reasonable. I think there's a background uh, 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 subtext that we have to address. I think it has to do a lot with or, or a comparison with China. We're having now a central bank whose independence is being challenged, has been challenged in, in, in a very dramatic and uh, in not ineffective way. And so they're going to be moving now toward what the Trump administration wants them to do. Um, so there might be a little resistance to that, but there really can't be quite a lot of resistance to that because of the political stature of the central bank. It's a, it's a secondary to the administration. So um, it's to actually get at what <laughs> is the real uh, truth or what the people are actually saying in the elevators and, and coming down the hallway. Uh, it's a, it's a, it going to be a mystery. And uh, I think um, I think if you just look at it in the global sense, they're going to be poo-pooing uh, the importance of incoming economic data, right? That's something that they never do. In fact, they, they've taken this year to dig out uh, small 
reports, Jerome Powell digging out uh, the Empire State, digging out uh, the Philadelphia Fed, looking at these things and commenting on them and putting them in the press that this one went down and, and this is a sign that manufacturing is in trouble. Well, they're not all going down and the definitive data is going up. So, um, they're, so he, you know, he's not going to be able to – it's going to be a, a, a fudgy, um, unpleasant rhetorical uh, event, I think next week that's going to be preceded by not a, 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 a proper buildup in the orchestra. The orchestra is going to be playing the wrong number right. when, when they uh, cut rates. In which case, let me round off with this one from your side, um, unless you've got anything else you want, to, you, you want to add, of course. But um, let's suppose the Fed comes out and cuts by half a percentage point. Do you think in that case the bond market might be spooked? Because on the basis of where you're talking the economy at the moment, you know, how do you justify a half percentage point cut? So do you think that could actually cause more damage than it does good? Well, if the damage is tied to the credibility of the Fed, it could. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because of the information on the economic side, there really it, it wouldn't be a, a warning of unknown economic weakness approaching. I mean, it could be with the trade and whatever, but we're not seeing it in the numbers. Uh, GDP in the U.S. has been has been uh, performing much better than other places, and it's going to be at the uh, on the consumer spending level performing even better. So um, it's uh, it's a it's a mess. Okay, it's going to be an interesting few days, isn't it? Um, okay, let's quickly wrap it up then from uh, this UK stuff, since I suppose there's a few bits and pieces that should be talking about there. Uh, as far as the Bank of England meetings go, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that next week. That will be on Thursday week. Um, it should be said no change is likely out of that. And why is that? Well, more than anything else, simply because the Brexit issue has still uh, to be sorted. But just for a touch on Brexit and our new prime minister, uh, Mark, you were talking about you know, sort of the idea of global interest rate cuts and that sort of thing. There's some interesting comment. If you're looking for an exception to the potential rule here, um, Andy Haldane, who's the Bank of England's chief economist, he was essentially looking at difference between how sort of UK economy is running at the moment and how the UK economy is performing. And a bottom line to, from, from his view for the UK is that lower interest rates in, in the UK, despite the fact that second quarter GDP over here could, could easily be a negative, are not really justified. And that's because on the Bank of England's estimates, the UK economy is pretty well running at full steam. So in other words, what they call the output gap, which is what they look at, um, has closed or is about to close. So really any kind of additional stimulus to domestic demand in the UK could simply result in pushing up inflation above its 2% target. So what the bank's really calling on for now is for some kind of additional stimulus from to the supply side. So increased investment and this sort of thing. You're coming out of fiscal policy. So I know at the moment you've got this massive Brexit cloud, which means when you talk about monetary policy in the UK, you can't really send it with any great conviction because we haven't a clue what's going to happen with Brexit. But it's interesting the fact that as far as your financial markets at the moment are very much looking for the BOE to cut. We put Brexit on one side. If you take the what the bank's chief economist is saying at the moment, it would still appear to be the case that it's more likely interest rates to be going higher rather than lower. Anyway, in terms of Brexit, then what can we say? Well, let's raise that in the context. We uh, will have a new uh, UK Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, the former Foreign Secretary and one-time London Mayor. 
um, was uh, Julian Outs as being the winner to replace Theresa May. He'll be moving into Downing Street as of tomorrow. Uh, now, well, Johnson, of course, is allegedly very much a, a pro-Brexit person, although for people with good memories, they may recall that originally it actually came out on the side of Remain. Um, but he's intimating, crucially for financial markets, that he is determined to make sure the UK is out of the European Union by 31st of October, which is the current um, Brexit date by law. Indeed, it's always worth reminding folks that you know, if nothing happens, then the UK will be leaving the EU at the end of uh, the at the end of October, simply because it's written into UK legislation. Um, the problem, of course, with all this is still uh, we may have a new prime minister now, but all the old issues are still very much there. We have pro Brexit and uh, Remainers split down party lines across parties, across the government, and everything else. Johnson is promising, if necessary, he will take the UK out without a trade deal which is regarded by most people, I think, as potentially disastrous. And crucially, Parliament still doesn't want to see a no-trade-deal Brexit either, which means it could be in for a very heated period once we get through the summer recess. UK Parliament goes off on its summer holes as of uh, Thursday and won't be back until the beginning of September time. So it'll just be a few weeks between then and the end of October for Mr Johnson to try and sort out what the heck is going to happen. Okay. Um, anyone else or anything else? No, I, I guess just uh, yeah. Over that summer period, um, do you, do you expect sort of Brexit to be just on pause, or do you, do you think there's still there'll be a lot well, of uh, sort of yeah? I mean, I'm, I'm, there's going to be stuff. To, obviously, the press are going to be talking about it simply because the deadline is going to be creeping ever ever closer. But in terms of actual parliamentary business, nothing's going to happen because Parliament ain't around. Um, I suppose I should actually mention just, just quickly that one of the measures which Boris Johnson had talked about was so-called proroguing parliament. And by that, he simply means that he could actually you know, call, call an early end to parliament to stop them voting on a measure which would prevent a no-deal Brexit. That now effective has been ruled out by some measures which Parliament actually put through uh, towards the back end of last week. Um, but, you know, see, in answer to your question, it's going to be dominating the papers and the press and everything else over here. But really, Parliament can't do anything until they come back in September time. And I say the worrying aspect there, of course, is that this 31st of October date will just be very much a few weeks away. So it could be a very choppy time for the pound. Okie dokie. Um, right, well, if that's everything, uh, that'll do for our Amble Around Global Financial Markets for this week. As always, keep an eye on Econoday's global economic calendar to stay up to date with all the major market moving events. Thanks very much, as always, for listening, and do tune in next week. Bye for now. <laughs>